Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. Well, actually, today it's Dr. Tim Hayes, and I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Wednesday, November the 11th, 2015. Thank you, Michelle, for filling in for me for the last few days. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169, and then press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because then that makes this your show. And Dr. Tim, I did hear from Michael. He's at another place getting the van worked on. And he and Susan are both on the line, and he asked if I would turn them on. They've got something to share, and then Michael has to disappear. And, Michael, your phone is really noisy, but welcome to the show. Hi, Susan. Hey, Jeannie. Hey, welcome, everybody. We apologize for the noise in the background. I'm actually at an auto uh, de- repair place right now. We are on the road and ended up with a, our trailer being a little too heavy for the van spring. So about an hour and a half ago, they were supposed to be finished with putting some airbags in the springs to um, to be able to uh, hold the weight of the trailer at a better angle. So, But I'm still sitting here uh, waiting for that to complete. And we'll have to leave the show. And, Tim, thank you for being willing to take care of it so that I can go and handle the uh, the closure on this and, and get back on the road. And so uh, Susan had texted me this morning, and I wanted to make sure I was on the show to be able to address her question. So I'm going to open the space for Susan to uh, to share her question. It's a great one, really perfect uh, uh, piece of information to have. So let's go for it. Okay. Susan. Here I am. Hi, everyone. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Good. Loud and clear. Um, yes, thank you so much. This question has been uh, on my mind for the last few days, so I'm so grateful that I'm getting an opportunity to ask. Um, and I've talked to Terry a little bit about it, but we live in a digital world is what I understand. And that is kind of like the movie The Matrix when it shows all the numbers. And I was I had heard on one of the DVDs I was listening to that we – have an um, analog converter that converts the digital world to pictures. So I'm thinking the carbon-based memory must be digital and that it gets converted with the mind, but I'm not sure. And then we see pictures with our physical eyes, which don't really see according to the Course of Miracles. So would you be willing to um, take that to another level? 
help me understand? I'd be delighted. I would be absolutely delighted to do that. And, again, I apologize for the noise in the background. I'm just kind of stuck where I am out here in the uh, in the big city of Memphis, Tennessee. So, first of all, to understand the difference between digital and analog. Uh, if you have a digital watch, you'll notice that you look at it, and what you get is information. You know, it's 1202. And so you get a 12, you get a colon, and you get a, a 02 information. If you have an analog watch, you've got a face, you've got a picture. You can see the hands moving, and there's a, you know, the 12 o'clock mark, the 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. So, so you get a visual picture of that. Well, when you listen to Einstein, and Einstein says, on such things as matter, we have been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy energy whose vibration has been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses, there is no matter, Einstein says. If we listen to Max Planck, here's a man who's, and this has been knowledge that's been around for over 100 years. Max Planck, back in, I forget, 1902, something like that, receives a Nobel Prize in physics. And part of his acceptance speech goes like this. As a man who spent his entire life studying matter, I can tell you this much. There is no matter as such. Our entire world, he says, is made of succeedingly smaller patterns of vibratory fields nested one within another within another. So we live in an energetic world, and it's hard to transfer understanding. It takes some real work to build the brain cells to transfer understanding, to see that or to, to gather that everything that we look at as a thing, all of the so-called material world, is a picture painted on the inside of our eyeballs out of information or data that's resonated in us by the events in the world. So when you get to the world of actuality, if you, could, if, if you and I could adjust the rate of vibration at, what our, at which our eye sees, we would not see, you know, I'm standing here at the side of this building looking at a house with a little steeple on it. Actually, I guess it's a church. New brain cells fired as I looked at it the second time. There's a steeple on top. So I look at that and I say, oh, look at that wooden building over there. But if I could adjust the rate of vibration in which my eye sees, I would see a worrying mass of electrons, protons, neutrons, and light. I wouldn't see a building. So the actuality of the thing is that it's energy lowered so that my eye receives that energy and that energy fires brain cells in me. And the brain cells that fire create a picture. Everything that I know about buildings and new information about churches. You know, at first it was a little house and now it's a church. New information fires. So there's the actuality of the thing is that it's made of energy. My brain turns that energy into pictures. So I take a digital information world and I make up pictures about it, which may be relatively accurate or maybe totally and completely inaccurate. And so I look closer at that building, and what I'm pretty sure is a steeple from here actually could be a flag, so maybe it's not a church at all. So my brain can switch back and forth. You know, most people have seen a drawing, I think it was by Escher, of uh, the old woman and the young woman. And when you look at it one way, it looks like this old hag, and you look at it the other way, and it's this beautiful young woman. And you can't see both pictures at the same time. If you look at her ear in that particular picture and you see the ear, what you're looking at is the young woman. 
But when you call the ear, when you name it differently and you call the ear an eye, all of a sudden the picture switches and you're looking at the old lady, the old hag. So the picture world is variable and is different for everyone, unique and individual to everyone. And so the world that the creator created is made of energy and information. The world that we made up is a picture between our ears made up of what's resonating in us, and then we pretend that the picture is accurate about what's going on in the world. And our guarantee is that if there's hostility or fear resonating in someone, then the picture their mind is painting is not accurate about the world. It's only accurate about themselves. Another way to, uh, to understand it might be to remember back a few years ago when the FCC, in its great wisdom, decided that all television broadcasting was going to be done digitally. Now, before that, a television station had a certain signature frequency. You know, if you're watching Channel 2, it has a, f a frequency that's called a carrier wave. And they would inject into that carrier wave, Channel 2, they would inject an analog picture. They would put data in that the television would decode and see as a picture. Well, the FCC decided, and there's a lot of debate about why they did this, that all television broadcasting had to become digital. So now, instead of superimposing on that carrier wave for Channel 2, a picture, they superimpose information and when the signal gets to the television set, the television set has to be able to reconstruct the picture out of the digital information. Now, you might remember that you had to go out and buy a new TV if you had an old-style TV that didn't have a digital converter. Or if you refused that, then the FCC and its great wisdom set it up so that the taxpayers would pay for you to get a digital converter box, something that would decode a digital signal and turn it into a picture. So all of the pictures that we see are pictures painted on the inside of our eyeballs and we see stuff. We see material substance where material substance doesn't exist. Now, when you try to correlate those things, it becomes very difficult. I think that this is an idea that Einstein confronted when he said this. Now, now, now think about Einstein. I mean, even today, half a century or better later, Einstein's considered to be one of the greatest scientific minds of all time. And Einstein addresses his issue of picture world, actual world, because he understood it. One of the few. I mean, science, most so-called scientists today don't have a clue. Excuse me, gentlemen, but, or ladies, but that's the way it is. You're still looking, especially, say, for instance, in the world of medicine, still looking for physical causes in a non-physical universe. So here's Einstein with his knowledge that behind the picture world, the matrix, there is this energetic world that, who knows, is 100 quadrillion, billion, zillion, million, trillion times bigger than what our eye is showing us. So Einstein says this about his and everybody in the world's scientific understanding. He says, when compared to actuality, that is, what's actually there in the energetic world, in the digital world, he says, all of our science 
That is, all of the stuff we've made up out of the pictures in our brains is primitive and childlike. And then he goes on to say, but it's the best we've got. So everybody's running around looking at these pictures in their mind, thinking they're looking at the actual world, and trying to make it up about how it works. And, of course, what, you're, what is actually there is an uncountable number of times greater than what your brain is showing you. Obviously, it's going to be quite a challenge to try to figure it out, try to get an understanding of it. And so recognizing that we live in an energetic world, we be, can begin to convert the mind to an understanding of the energy dynamics of life rather than trying to understand the physical dynamics of a world where there is no physical. It looks physical. It appears that way. You look back, and this is what Yeshua was addressing 2,000 years ago when he says, folks, don't judge by appearances. You have an appearance in your mind, and it's, it's, it's primitive and childlike when compared to what's actually going on. And then he says other things like, you know, judge not lest you be judged. What does that mean? If I judge, then the measure with which I'm judging what I think is you, I'm judging a picture in my mind. And that picture in my mind comes from what's happening inside of me. So I'm laying that judgment on myself with no awareness of how the energy system works. So the whole basis of this work and the whole idea of this work is to get to the point where we can at least begin to scratch the surface of actuality, the digital world. What's really going on out there? You know, another way to understand it would be, let's take a primitive from the jungles of South America and let's sit him in front of a television screen. And he looks at it and he says, how did you get 50,000 fans and two football teams in that little box, that 21-inch box? And he goes over and he looks behind it, he looks underneath it, he looks to the left side, he looks to the right side, he looks to the top. He says, how did you get 50? Now, he sees a picture on the screen and he thinks, there are 50,000 fans and two football teams in that little box. Now, you and I know that there's nobody in the little box, but there's a signal coming in and the box makes the picture. There's a camera somewhere in the world, maybe, that took the picture 50 years ago and registered information that is transmitted in the television set is replicating that picture. But the picture isn't there. It appears to be there. And so when Yeshua says don't judge by appearances, he's saying every picture that shows up in your mind is made up of something that's happening inside of you. It tells you a story about you. If you clean your mind up and get to the point where you are incapable of hostility or fear, then your mind will give you more accurate pictures of the digital information that's out there, and you'll have a deeper understanding of it. And so we can start to foray into the actuality of what the world is instead of being primitive and childlike and thinking we've got it all figured out, because we don't. And, uh, and get to the root of your question? Oh, I love it. It was good. Thank you, Michael. I only, the only thing I was sitting here thinking is uh, what would make it better is if you had a whiteboard. And I yeah, could well, see <laughs> well, actually, actually, if you look at the, uh, the opening of the video uh, on Introduction to Advanced Understanding of A Course in Miracles, I kind of 
get into that on the whiteboard. So you might want to take a look at that. And, and speaking of the course, we've actually got a new video that will be coming out hopefully within a few weeks. One of our first projects when we get to Florida is to edit about uh, 10 hours of new video footage that we've got and get the DVDs available. But one of the videos, I, co I cover a lesson in the course that I consider to be one of the most important and one of the most misunderstood lessons in the course. And it addresses this question exactly, precisely, and directly. So if you look at the lesson, what is the world? Most people think, at least my experience of people who are working with the course, think that when they look, they're looking out there. And that they made out there happen. And that it's all an illusion because they made it all up. And my offering is, if you listen to that lesson in the course, it says, what is the world? It answers the whole dilemma in one simple phrase. It says, the world is false perception. It is born of error. So the course that the, or pardon me, the world that the course is aiming at correcting and is telling us that we made up is the picture world painted on the inside of our eyeballs. The creator created the digital world, the one that's out there that Einstein was addressing, that our understanding in the world we see, and you'll notice how often the Course says, the world you see, the world you see, the world you see, the world you see. The world you see is false perception. It is born of error. It has not left its source. So everything that we rage at, everything we have fear about, everything we have terror about, everything we're, we quote-unquote think we're traumatized about is all internal energy dynamics <clears throat> pardon me that we make pictures out of and then we think that the picture world is actually out there instead of painted on the inside of our eyeballs so the course in that particular lesson it says it says here was perception born to take the place of what the creator gave you in creation so when the creator created this for want of a better term because we really don't have words to describe it this digital you know, the world beyond Einstein's primitive and childlike science, when the Creator gave that to us, that's what he gave us. We, over time, made up a picture world and replaced that world. So the, that particular lesson in the Course says, so here was perception born to take the place of what the Creator gave you in creation. And if we were but to be able to collapse the pictures in us based in generations and generations of hostility or fear, we would find ourselves fed by the most elating, delightful, exciting, ecstatic, energetic experience that one could ever have. Some of the ancients referred to that as the kingdom of heaven. Some of them referred to it in the East. They referred to it as samadhi or enlightenment, that we can actually, if we're willing to give up, that is, forgive the world's false perception, then we can actually live connected to this unnameable whatever it is that when we're connected to it is going to leave us in ecstasy. We all come in that way. If you ask somebody if they've ever held a newborn child and they describe the essence of the newborn, they'll describe that presence of love and that ecstasy. And we over time are taught by the thumbprints that are put on us in the world to give that experience up and to buy into fear and rage and guilt and pain and drama and trauma of the generations. 
So when the Course talks about forgiveness, when we talk about forgiveness, we're talking strictly about collapsing the world of false perception, applying forgiveness only to what's happening on the inside to clean up what never belonged so that we can go and have a fresh, live, present moment experience of what the Creator offered us in the beginning instead of perception, which is a cheap copy. Fit? Make sense? Beautiful. I can understand uh, the passion of carrying this work and doing it um, for 45 years. And often I've wondered, to carry that message to a world who sees the pictures and um, we actually think it's real, that's, that's the best thing ever. What else is there to yeah. do? That's wonderful. And I just got you to got it. up my mind. You know? That's all we need to do. And, and the beauty is, you know, people say, well, Gee, you're going to have to go and convert seven and a half billion minds. It's like, no, no. All we have to do is get a critical mass through the gate, and the energy shift will take place. And 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 we are in this work definitely about conversion. Now, the non-being mind has a cheap copy of conversion. It says, I want you to join my church. Then my church will be bigger. The leaders who want more members will have more money, more power, more blah, 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 blah. We're not, we have no interest whatsoever in to bring anybody into a religion. But we do have an interest in converting 7.5 billion people on the planet. And the conversion is we all started out with a love-based mind, and most people gave it up for a hostility and fear-based mind. We're looking to convert people back to a love-based mind so that the mind functions because it's plugged into the proper power supply, not an inferior power supply based in hostility or fear, but the power supply of love, and that it is fueled by love. Then it becomes a device that works as it is designed to. You've heard me in, in workshops say before, how many have a device in your home, your office, your shop, your car, your kitchen, that when it's not plugged in works really well? Of course, there's no such device. The human mind is no different, more, no different than that. We started out, Fully connected to love. That's how we came in. It is ecstasy. It is beauty. It is sweetness. It is awesome. And when we disconnect the plug, we trade that experience in for a picture of ourselves as a body made up of weaknesses and flaws and all the messages that our power person gave us. And the moment of having given that up is the moment of the deepest rage that anyone will ever experience and will impact and become the root of every traumatic experience, every disease, every disorder, every conflict, every bit of poverty and death itself. That's the source of it. And so when we are willing and able to do what it takes to work back through that, to remove that, and plug back into our original power supply. You know, we tell the story in the Y workshop about the rose and the butterfly. We have a rose and a butterfly. We give them each an eagle. They meet. They fall in love. They have a great time together. And one day, the butterfly up and flies away. The rose, knowing that the love of the butterfly is the most important thing in its life, uproots itself to give chase. And obviously, what's going to happen to the rose? It's going to die. It's going to die because it's disconnected from its source. When we disconnect from our source, we initiate death. We're not made for death. 
we are literally made. You know, you, you listen to the, the ancients and they said, to he that overcomes, he will not taste of the second death. He will become a pillar in the temple of my creator and go out no more. What does that mean? When we plug back into the power supply, we will be eternally supplied by the active presence of love and we will step into eternal life. That's what a pillar in the temple. The temple is this so-called body, which is not a body at all. It's an energy system. A body is just a picture in a mind made up by programming and thumbprints from the world. So when I become a pillar and then it says shall go out no more. In other words, we're not going to kill ourselves anymore. We're going to stop the act of, of self-destruction. We're going to stop plugging into this energy system, those energies based in rage and guilt and grief and pain and drama and trauma and we're going to stay plugged into love which means we'll step into something that fires this thing up for eternity now there's another argument that people come up well gee if we had seven and a half billion people nobody's dying wouldn't we be overpopulated and boy what kind of trouble would that be well you know i think that would be a good problem for us to look at but first of all we have to get there Nobody's doing it. So we don't have a clue what kind of transformation is going to take place when 7.5 billion people stop functioning out of rage and guilt and grief and pain and start functioning out of the awesome, sweet, active presence of love. Who knows what creative things are going to happen? Who knows where it goes? We don't have a clue because we have primitive and childlike minds. And when we forgive that which makes us primitive and childlike, according to Einstein, then we get to step into the truth of who we are, and we're going to be playing a very, very different game than what we're playing now. And who knows what it will look like? You know, I mean, you know, the kid plays in the sandboxes. Well, this is life, man, sandboxes. <laughs> Never dreaming of the Internet, you know, race cars relationships we can't dream of things that we can't conceive of we can't conceive of a world based in love out of a fear-based mind we can dream about it but we can't really conceive of what it might look like so that's the whole purpose that's why i do what i do and uh, why we're committed to taking this freely to every mind heart and being on the planet that's what it's all about elfie Good. So uh, I'll just uh, turn the show over to, uh, to Jeannie and Dr. Tim, and thank you, and uh, we'll be in touch. Blessings. Bye-bye. Awesome. So hi, Dr. Tim. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you, Jeannie? <laughs> I am good. I'm good. So, so why, here, don't, why don't you give us, uh, since we've had so much talk about you know the core of this work, why don't you give us a brief update about the adventures? <laughs> I, I have no idea what there is a purpose and a reason, and I just have to trust the universe. You know, we attempted to leave 
to head to Florida on Friday. And then we were delayed. Then it was going to be Saturday. And then it was going to be Sunday. And then we finally got out of there and got about an hour and a half down the road. And we're we're in a normal van. You know, usually we're in a huge sprinter or a bus or whatever. So we're in a normal-sized minivan, and we're pulling a trailer. And so we get about an hour and a half down the road. It's already starting to get dark. And all of the, the lights go out on the trailer, which means on these country roads through Tennessee, nobody's going to see that we're pulling a trailer behind us. So it was too dangerous, so we stopped, spent the night, came on into Memphis the next day. Well, we had we had a couple stops to make while we were in the little town we were in, in West Plains, to see if we could change fuses or do whatever to get the lights back on. We made it into Memphis yesterday. Well, the load on the van and the trailer is so heavy and the um oh what do you call it the hitch is so low if we hit the least little bump it's like it sounds like we're tearing the highway up and (laughs) it's it's terrible so so we stopped and uh spent the night with their friend here in memphis and and uh, michael found a place it's actually camper world so they're used to rvs and things like that and there's this thing that they can put in the springs that adds i forget how many pounds of air and it lifts the tail end of the car up so that it lifts the uh, trailer hitch up so that we're not bumping it and so hopefully it will ride better, too, because another thing that was happening is every time we would hit a bump, the trailer's only on two wheels. So it would start this rocking process from front to back, which then made the car kind of start rock. And so it was like this wave, you know, like in a football game where the wave oh, starts yeah. on one end and goes, shoo. Well, our car was kind of doing that. <laughs> and so anyway, um, I'm still here at Brenda's house, and uh, Michael's at the – dealership he's been there since eight o'clock this morning getting the uh this whatever fixed on the spring so hopefully the back end of the car is jacked up enough now that we won't bump the rest of the way and it'll be a smoother ride and we still have a stop to make in uh just south of nashville and then after we leave there we still have 10 hours to get to florida so it's like this has been over a week, and we're not there yet. So there is a purpose and a reason, and for some reason we're not supposed to be there yet. So hopefully we'll get there eventually. <laughs> well, we know you will, and uh, we're glad that everyone is safe and that you're uh, yes. on the road. We had um, We had an unusual show yesterday where we couldn't get on the switchboard, so... So um, uh, it, parts of today's show were echoes of what was being talked about yesterday. So it's all in good good order. And so yeah. I'm just curious now that we do have you at the switchboard, if there's any activity in the chat room or anybody with a we hand do up. Have, we actually have a couple of hands up. We sure do. And uh, uh, Michelle and Donna and Erica are in the chat room. And um but one thing, being here in Memphis, we met uh, a gentleman named Malika, I may be pronouncing his name incorrectly, and a Dr. Cottrell. And Dr. Cottrell will actually probably be on the show at some point, and he is a clinical psychologist like you are, and he's really interested in how to incorporate this 
with his clients. And so we talked to them for a long time last night. I'm not sure. It was probably 1 o'clock when we got to bed last night. And uh, but So that may be the reason that we were delayed. Who knows? And so every, anyway, every little uh, piece. Every exactly. little piece falls into place. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So let's take our caller. The first one's area code 828. You're on the air. Who do we have? Well, hi there. This is Magda calling. Hi, Magda. Hi. Hi, hi. Um, so um, good to talk with both of you, and I want to share something that uh, Jeannie, I hope you can pass this on to Michael in case he's not listening. Uh, last week before you two left, um, um, and I'm, uh, <laughs> I wish you all the luck with the rest of your trip. It sounds like it's been a challenge so far. Um, so good luck with that. And um, you will remember that a new person came to the support group last week, and that was Crystal. So she came yeah. last yeah, she came last night again and she did her very first worksheet and um it was phenomenal. Um you know how we always say start out with something little? Well, it didn't happen that way. She started with something little and it was very clear as in the very first moments that she went very deep and got in touch with something else. Uh, even before she had written down, you know, what her, her trigger was. Um, so we went with the deeper thing because it was so, so um, she was feeling it so strongly. It was a marvelous support group. Everyone was so completely there and with her. And it's interesting because her and I had had a conversation on the way to the support group where she was saying, you know, I'm not sure that I even know how to feel love anymore. And um, at a certain point at the beginning of the worksheet, uh, I asked her to take a moment and look around and look at the faces of everyone in the group and just see that they were there supporting her. And wow, (laughs) that was an amazing experience for her because she and she spent a great deal of time just breathing. We coached her to breathe through that because even more emotion came up and more and more. And she said at the end of that, now I know what love feels like because everyone there was just emanating love and showering her with love and she was feeling it inside of her as well. So that was fantastic. Um, And she may have other things that she wants to tell you about her experience, Um, but she's getting a massage right now from Chuck, so she's not going to be talking right at this moment. Uh, We did a worksheet just a little while ago. She stayed overnight here, and we did a worksheet together, and she was um, being very intelligent because she is a brilliant lady and she was trying to figure it out and figure it out and put the pieces together and I told her of course that figuring it out is not the the mode here this is not uh, important you don't need to figure it out if there are things to know they will become evident um, and she suddenly 
as we were talking about that, she got it. She said, oh, that's interesting. That is really interesting. What happens when we figure it out is that we unpack the junk, but we don't finish it by having the yard sale to get rid of it. And I just loved that. <laughs> I thought that was a great analogy. That is a good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might appreciate that for sure. <laughs> so I wanted to share yeah. that with you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yes, I will. Pa- Michael's already disconnected off of the phone so that he can bring the car back and pick me up and then we can get on our way. But uh, yeah. I will definitely pass that on to him. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, absolutely. Well, I will awesome. I will make room for your other callers um and um and blessings to you as you travel, you and Michael and uh, blessings to everyone who's listening. Thank you, Magda. Appreciate you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you okay. so much. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> bye bye. That's awesome. Oh, and uh, yes. There is going to be a Mind Shifters meeting beginning uh, this coming Saturday here in Memphis, and it's going to be at the Waterford Park uh, building, the Waterford Tower, and that's 200 Wagoner Place in Memphis. And when you come into that building, there is a security guard, and he will direct because the meeting will probably move from room to room. So he will know each week where it's going to be. It's from 5 to 7 p.m. And uh, so we're excited that a new one is starting here. And, uh, oh, okay. Yes, it's the corner of Beale Street and Front Street. And it's a really tall, high-rise building. And so uh, that will be starting this coming Saturday at 5 o'clock. And so I'll have that information on the website once we land in Florida. (laughs) And and where is that again, Jeannie? What state are you in? Oh, what state am I in? What city and state are you in? Memphis, Tennessee. (laughs) So we're glad that that's starting. So see, there's other reasons why we stopped over and and gave the push for that to get going. And so we're glad um, that that has started here. And and like I said, I'll have that information on the website then once I land somewhere for a little bit longer. Uh, We do have another caller, and I believe this is Richard. How are you doing, Richard, from Ithaca? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good, Richard. Welcome. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to con- I got in about uh, where Michael started talking about from the Course in Miracles was the world. And I really, I think it's one of the best uh, commentaries I've you know, ever heard uh, him talk. Uh, so I really like that. But I didn't hear the original question. So I was calling to find out what the original question was. Susan Darnell was asking about a clarification regarding Michael's comments that we're living in a digital world, but our mind converts that digital picture into an analog, or the digital information, into an analog series of pictures. And that's how we experience individual realities that are different from the digital world, the actuality. Mm-hmm. And Susan was asking for clarification on how that process happens. Okay. Yeah, I, I sent uh, Michael and Jeannie uh, a video uh, from a PBS series that actually 
talked about that very well. Did you guys get a chance to look at that? Richard Erloff has been kind of wild for the last two weeks. I don't know if you were on there by the time that I was telling what was what all was going on. I, I, was, we, I heard what I heard what happened. Yes. <laughs> so but we've I, been packing <laughs> for over a week, and then it's taken us over a week just to get three hundred miles down the road. So. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we'll get to it though. Of of uh, talking about just what Susan asked how we perceive the world and uh uh so anyway just the suggestion that that might you might want to send that to her to let her look at that too awesome i'll do that or post it on the uh on the uh, website because i think it's a great video for basically explaining exactly what michael talks about Awesome. Uh, I will definitely give it a look as soon as we land uh, in Florida. And like I said, hopefully that'll be by Thursday night anyway. Well, anyway, I really like today's explanation. I would put a highlight on today as a good day to uh, listen to in terms of understanding the world. (laughs) So anyway, have a great day and have a safe trip when the rest of the way to Florida. And hopefully you won't have any more problems with your van. uh, Thank you, Richard. Appreciate that. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Dr. Tim, we have a question in the chat room, and they actually had to step away and said that they would um, be back and listen to the show tonight. Oh, before before I get into that, though, the phone number, if you're in the Memphis area and you want further information, is area code 901-604-1489. And so you can contact um, her for more information on the whens and wheres and so, um, and then also I'll be putting out there the uh, group up in Lansing, Michigan is moving to Michelle's office, and so she's going to be sending me the new address, time, and all that information. So I will be getting that on the website as well. It's kind of changing places. Uh, the question is, you know, when you're working in a group or working with another person, and, and um, this was a kind of a debate in one of the mind shifters groups uh, last night, and it's assessing the value of adding strength to the negative feeling. You know, like the first part of the worksheet is all bringing the reality that's between the ears forward. So that includes the negativity and things like that, and the feeling it fully, you know, breathing, tapping, releasing, or whatever. But what is the value of going into the negativity in order to get to the other side, to the positive of it? So can you address that? I'm not sure if I was clear on that. So the the question is, what's the value of going into the negativity? Yeah, why do you, I guess, why do you have to look at and really get into you know, whatever it is that's created the reality, the negative part of it. Well, I don't know for certain, but my best take on it would be that the most important thing ultimately is for me to understand that who, what I am is total and complete all by itself. It can't be added to by anyone or anything. It can't be hurt or detracted by anyone or anything. It's all there 
It's whole and complete, and my true nature is that energy of creation. So that if I have created within my mind energy some experience that's less than that full, comfortable, happy, joyful, creative, connected, intimately experiencing the energy of life in each moment, I've done it in error. And the only way for me to be free of that error is to see the error completely. And as long as I'm hiding from myself some portion of that negative construct, that false belief or energy, and projecting when I deny, I then project it into my mind's image of someone or something else, then I keep myself locked in the cycle of pain. And spiritual tradition after spiritual tradition, the deepest spiritual teachers say, allow, allow, allow. You know, Christ said, uh, resist not evil. Um, uh, Guy Finley talks about that and says he's really saying from the uh, ancient uh, Greek and Aramaic translations, do not oppose what opposes you. So if I move into allowance, if I'm willing to see all of the different levels of thought and energy and constriction and rejection and resistance and reaction within me, underneath it all I see, oh, it was all false anyway. And its impact on me diminishes and dissolves. There's a quote that Michael has in one of his lectures from a series in Course in Miracles that says, all I need to do is return to the source of my error in thought and acknowledge it, and all of the effects of the error will be will be removed. And it's all based on the observation that I'm not this body. I'm not, you know, we, we were, last night we were watching um, the lecture by... Bruce Lipton in our Mind Shifter group, and he talks about how in his study of cellular biology, he was able to uncover the actuality that what drives the functions in the cell is that the cells are waiting for information from the environment, and the cells receive a signal from the external environment and according to that signal, the cells determine their function and they determine their genetics, etc. So when he discovered that as a cellular biologist, he was instantly made aware of the fact that he, him, whom, what makes Bruce Lipton a person is not contained in his genetics, in his DNA, in his cell. It's an energy outside of that that's broadcasting a signal to the cells. And so he gives the analogy of if you're walking along, listening to a radio station with your little AM or FM battery-operated radio, and the batteries die, and so the, the radio quits functioning, or you know you drop it and it falls and it breaks. Well, the radio's broken, but... Is the broadcast gone? No, the broadcast is still there. The signal is still being sent. Well, his analogy is when our bodies 
cease to function, that's just like the AM radio quitting to function. It doesn't mean there's no more broadcast. The essence of who we are cannot be hurt, cannot be dented, rusted, chipped, broken, in any way obstructed by the pain we're experiencing. And so one reason to look through into the depths of the pain that's generated by the beliefs and conclusions and energies that we're holding on to as an identification of I'm right, I know this to be true, this is my faith, this is my belief, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The pain that's generated from that is self-generated nonsense. And it's important for me to look into and through it so that I have the actual experience of being totally whole and complete underneath it all. That would be my take. Okay. We have um, Michelle on the line, and I think she might have uh, addition to the question. Michelle, thanks for calling in. Hey, Tim. Hi, Jenny. Thanks. Um, so, Tim, it was a great answer to a different question. So let me um, restate the question in, in as best as I can to kind of capture what I think um we were talking about. So when you're feeling the feeling and let's say the experience of sadness and then going into it, um, breathing, relaxing, softening, um, you know, releasing that energy, allowing that energy, right? So in that experience of going in, to the feeling, I notice that you, or I can't, let me say that, I can think about my situation that's triggering me and kind of focus my attention on that and the illusion, and I can almost feel, especially when I'm breathing and tapping, that that feeling amping up and and kind of strengthening almost, um, intensifying as I'm releasing, and, and generally there's a crescendo and, and a climax and, and it peaks and then and then gradually um, recedes in my experience of it moving through me. And so the, the question we kind of were talking about is whether or not there's value in that because it kind of goes along the lines of this current question over the last week related to when you release a feeling, are you releasing it forever? Or are you releasing that next layer? And then, you know, the belief is that if you can't release it all, it must be because there's some kind of barrier or payoff because you really just don't want to let go of that stuff and you've habitually held it for so long and so, you know, there's resistance. And, and that's kind of what the question Rex was asking yesterday about when we were talking about that aspect. So does that clarify at all the the question was, is that valuable to try to increase the feeling to release more, or is that just um, a gamey way your mind, you know, messing with you? Well, whether or not it's valuable, I think, you know, everybody has to decide for themselves. Uh, one of the questions that I would want to explore within myself if that were happening to me would be, 
how am I creating this crescendo of energy with my resistance? Because I'm focusing on the the illusion, focusing on the um, the feeling, and it seems to get stronger if if you're okay. like allowing and, and, it. It seems and, like and, it's and if it does, and if it does, and then after that, there's a release or an integration or a healing. Then, what's the problem? Uh, that that's the side of the debate I was on because I'm thinking if I'm able to increase it and I don't know if it's my thoughts increasing it or it's my body increasing, allowing it and then thoughts, you know, come up to match it or something, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, it seems to me the more I can release the better because maybe I'm doing some of my stuff and maybe some of my neighbor's. Okay, and so there's but, another but, but side. The there, there's another side to the debate that says we are somehow doing it incorrectly when we do that, or there's a or better way to do that. Required. No, it's not. It's not necessary. It's not. You know, it's not necessary to go. I don't know. Go into it. It's not necessary to amp it up. It's not necessary to create anything more than what you're actually dealing with. Um, and maybe just subtle differences between people and how they experience feeling their feelings and how they approach the work. So, I mean, it just kind of brought up some questions because then, you know, this whole idea about, well, am I letting a little bit go or am I letting it all go? And if I'm not letting it all go, then maybe I am doing it wrong because I want to hold on to it because there's a payoff unconsciously helps. I think we go into it layer by layer. Um, I don't know of anybody that, you know, especially if it's a genetic, a long time thing that's been going on, I don't know of anybody that can do one worksheet can be done with it, you know. So you do the next layer that your vitality is strong enough for you to deal with. And I would question, you know, I mean, I've done some worksheets and felt great release and not really gone into any emotional thing. And then I've had others that take me into the hydra of 20 different worksheets and and go into the pit. And I get to the bottom of the worksheet and feel worse than I did at the beginning of it, and I go to the next worksheet. You know, so I think each case we would have to ask ourselves, am I just saying, because I've also met some people who don't want to go deeper, they don't want to look at that, so are you, you know, avoiding going deeper and lying to yourself saying, oh, I don't need to do that, I don't need to go deep to clean it out, or is that really the truth? Right. No, I think that's that's kind of where what I was curious about. Because, again, I guess I, whether or not um, I'm creating it or I'm allowing it, as long as I'm releasing it, I'm happy. Well, my take on it would be it's a very individual process. And one of the things that was resonating as you and Jeannie were talking is Michael often saying, quoting from the scriptures where it says, you can't storm the gates. And so you know, many of us, if we are in an experience of discomfort, we want to feel better right now. And it's the old prayer, you know, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. 
and uh, if if there are people who can get there, bless their hearts. Uh, those people who have told me over the years and the different things I've studied that we have this instant um, answer, when I have explored it and tried it for myself, it hasn't been a very deep or lasting result. Um, some people claim that they have deep and lasting results and that they are enlightened, and I have read some of them and listened to them in lectures and been with them and tried what they have offered and haven't gotten the deep and lasting results. So if if you can, if people know of a way to process something and get rid of it without going through it, um, I, um, I'd say do it and and share it with others. But... The way Michael talks about it is, if I have this energy in me, if it somehow got put in me, whether it was through my own personal experience or through my energetics and genetics of my bloodline, well, as I get rid of it, it's going to feel pretty much the way it did on the way in as it leaves. It's not going to be pleasant. And it's my willingness to experience that and see it fully in its depth and understand the falseness of my perception about that energy that allows for the integration and some would say then healing. Some would say the realization that there was never any healing needed and that no damage was ever done because I'm only creating a false perception of woundedness and being less than whole because that's my true nature and it can't ever be changed. But again, this is all just words and what we're really trying to get at in this work is not the words and not the technique. We're really trying to help usher people into an experience, an experience of their true nature, an experience of total, perfect, conscious, active, present love, which is their true nature. And if I've dumped a lot of garbage in my life and my bloodline has dumped a lot of garbage and false conclusions and energetic impressions on top of that true nature, I don't know any way currently to unload it without being willing to see it clearly as its falseness, to feel it clearly as being false. Because as Krishnamurti would say, only when I see the false as the false and I see the false in what's called true can I actually see the truth and be in relationship with it. So that's our show for today. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for the questions. We have uh, just about a minute left. Hopefully Michael and Jeannie will be back tomorrow. We'd love to have more questions I'm here. and comments. I'm back. And, and in... Say goodbye because we're at the end yeah. of our show. Good. And tell people to have the best year yet of their eternal life. And we can cue the outro. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.yagain.com. 
W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot com.